What is happening, you beautiful bastards? I'm Grizz. And I'm Jerry. And this is a contagious episode of Beautiful Bastards. What's going on this week, Jerry? Uh, not too much, really. Uh, you know, I... I Yes, our listeners might be interested to know that we're going to be sticking with this whole uh, remote recording until after the holidays because you and I have a different social circle and we don't want to mix them up. So I think we got to start off today uh, thanking all the medical professionals out there. And there are way too many acronyms for me to thank all of you individually. Y'all know who you are because uh, the real thing is we wouldn't have made it through this without all of you there to the point where we could even have a vaccine. So, uh, again, we want to thank all of you and uh, just add in, fuck Time Magazine. And then, secondly, we need to get real serious. Last week, we, we put out something that was, that was incorrect. We said that the Dodge Kia was the most unreliable piece of shit car out there. We were wrong. We were so wrong. Uh, in all truth, I did some research and found out that 2020's most unreliable piece of crap is the Land Rover. So I will now be referring to everything that is a piece of shit as a Land Rover. And may they be in our prayers. Praise be our Lord and Savior, Keanu Reeves. (laughs) No longer will I be referring to piles of dog poo. (laughs) (laughs) It will be the Dodge Kia, or not the Dodge Kia, it will be the Land Rover. (laughs) So anyway, Grizz. Yes. so as, I, I think you know this, but I uh, like to shop at Costco. Yep. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, not specifically because of savings. Uh, I just don't like shopping. So I try to do it all at once. Right. So yep. preceding going shopping this past weekend, uh, got up in the morning and I found $31 in my pocket. Nice. Now I knew that I owed my son back pay for cutting the grass all summer. <laughs> and <Uh-oh. laughs> so... I stormed into his room and I was, I was looking angry. I pulled my fist back. Like I was going to just fucking let him have it. And so he says, <laughs> cowering in the back, in the corner of his bed. And I whip it at him. And it just kind of bounced off his shoulder and he realized he wasn't going to die. So I point out, I said, pick it up. So you scared the shit out of your son. Yeah. To give so him I money. tell him, pick it up. And he picks it up. He's like, money. Why? So I tell him, that's back pay for cutting the grass all summer. Get dressed. We're going shopping. (laughs) So he's all excited now. He's got $31. Yeah, yeah. And he decided he's going to go down the the Lego aisle at Costco. I would say he's 10, 11? He just turned 10. All right. So we're going down the Lego aisle at Costco. And there's this old guy in a hover round. He's putting around the same aisle with us. And we're all looking at Legos together. So my son says, I'm going to get this one but it's a $75 Lego kit uh, for like a big passenger airplane. Yeah, yeah. And Legos I'm, ain't cheap, man. No, man. They don't give them away. But I, I'm all about teaching him life lessons. So I said, no, nope, you got $31. You can't spend any more than you have. So he's putting around. He finds one he likes, but it, it's, it's plugged in the wrong place. And it doesn't have a price. So he says, I don't know how much this one is. So this guy in the hover round starts talking to him about Legos. Yeah. So he's like, well, which one are you trying to get? So he's, he's telling him, I wanted to get this one right here. But what I really wanted was that one over there, but I don't have enough. And I was like, yeah, that's the one he wants, but it's out of his budget. And I see this old man fumbling around. He's, he's backing up his hover round. 
Uh, he picks it up off uh, off the uh, shelf. So he grabbed this $75 kit and he puts it in my cart. And yeah. I'm about to be like, no, dude, I'm not buying that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying but to teach like, my son a lesson, damn it. <laughs> yeah. But he's like, no, this is in his budget. He can afford this for sure. Old man pulls out his wallet and hands my kids 60 bucks. What? That's what I said. Uh, it blew his mind. So he just kind of froze. He was like a deer in the headlights. He had no idea what to do. So he's, you know, he's thanking the guy profusely and he realizes now he has $91. Oh, geez. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he picks out this Lego kit, the one the guy put in the cart, and he's got a few bucks left. And I was like, so what are you going to do with the rest of your money? He thinks about it for a second as we're walking, walking away from the aisle. And he says, you know what? I'm going to get a bag of limes. Bag of limes? The joys of being a 10-year-old boy. You can get whatever you want. <laughs> Interesting. I thought and, you were going to tell me he was going to like pay it forward or something, man. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, I mean, I don't know almost any 10 year olds that would pay it forward, but yeah. No, no. Yeah. He, I think he was just too overwhelmed with the fact that someone just gave him what to him is a small fortune. Uh, yeah. That's a massive fortune to a 10 year old. Yeah. Or 11. <laughs> uh, but of course, my wife cried because it was the sweetest thing ever. So, of course, uh, of course. I well, just thank you, was, dude in the hover round. Thank you, Mr. Hover round. I really appreciate it, and so did my son. All right, um, so what, what is, uh, what's today's episode on, Jerry? So today, we decided that we wanted to do something that uh, pertains to what's happening right now with the pandemic, and uh, something I think is very important, because there's a lot of bad information going around. We're talking about vaccines today. So, as some of you may know, uh, the UK started getting the Pfizer vaccine today. I just wanted to put this out there before we get further into the episode. Uh, oh, yeah, this is a good one to know. Yeah. So just in case anybody doesn't finish the episode, I want them to hear this first because uh, this is kind of like the, the, first, the first issue they've run across with uh, the Pfizer vaccine. So today in the UK, two people responded adversely to the mRNA vaccine from Pfizer. Um, so why did that happen? Basically, it's somehow related to their significant history of, uh, sorry, their history of significant allergic reactions. Now, they and didn't these say two, what their allergic reactions were, right? They just no. said they had bad allergic reactions. Yeah. And the, these are the kind of allergic reactions where they're bad enough that they have to carry an EpiPen. Yep. Um, and basically what happened was these two people who have a history of needing an EpiPen, uh, they developed symptoms of anaphylactoid reaction after receiving the vaccine. Yeah, so they went so, into anaphylactic shock. Yeah, it didn't it didn't really specify, you know, the severity of what they were experiencing, but it was an allergic reaction. Um uh, and that actually can tend to happen and we'll get into why that is a possibility with the mRNA vaccine a little bit later in the episode, but uh what they're suggesting now is if you do have a history of this kind of reaction and you have an EpiPen, talk to your doctor before you get the vaccine. And if you do get the vaccine, make sure you're somewhere where if you're going into anaphylaxis, you can you can deal with that appropriately. That's good info because I'm allergic to bees. I don't carry an EpiPen yet, but I'm wondering what they those guys were allergic to. And usually anything that has to do with anaphylactic shock is it's only a select few, you know, uh, nuts, uh, bees. There's a couple other out there. Yeah. So it, I think it has a lot to do with the delivery method. Um, but like I said, we're going to get into that a little bit later. And it is, uh, it's basically the mRNA vaccine is delivered with um, what they call a lipid nanoparticle uh, package. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. It is hell. 
It does sound complicated, <laughs> but I think it's just fat. We'll find out. Oh, all right, cool. Um, <laughs> Those so, damn doctors anyway. have to name things complicated names. Oh, yeah. Uh, doing the research for this episode, uh, I got a headache just trying to figure out how to say half the shit we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, I think we need to put out in the beginning, we are not medical professionals. <laughs> we're also not English professionals. So yes. we're not very good at speaking. We're not very good at being smart. So we'll, Keep we'll do listening. the best we can. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, vaccines. So, uh, Grizz, what do you think the goal of a vaccine is? I mean, all in all, it would be to, er I, hopefully the end goal should be to eradicate a disease like measles. That's right. Yep. And uh, basically, the way we eradicate any kind of disease, like measles, uh, vaccines can provide us with herd immunity. I'm sure you've heard of that, right? I have, especially nowadays. Uh, so a lot of people have kind of a cursory understanding of what herd immunity is. It sounds pretty self-explanatory in the name. Uh, but I just want to go into basically what it is and how it works. Okay. So simply put, herd immunity is the societal threshold of people who need to have antibodies to a specific contagion to stop its spread. So it actually gets a little more complicated than that, but that's what we need to achieve to get COVID under control. So it's basically the, the number of people who have to have antibodies to stop the spread. Now, is there a percentage to that? There is. So it's different for every disease. And in the case of COVID, they've kind of, they're not entirely sure what it's supposed to be, but they can deduce that it's going to be somewhere between 60 and 80%. So that means 60 to 80% of the population has to be uh, carrying the immune cells, uh, the antibodies to fight COVID. So we're fucked. <laughs> so far, we're really <laughs> fucked, especially with everything that's gone on with uh, how this vaccine is getting put out. Uh, yeah. Uh, but for herd immunity, to give you a real world example of how it works. So let's say that you have 10 people. They're all lined up mm -hmm. and none of them have been exposed to we're going to go with COVID. No, none of them have been exposed to COVID before. Yep. Uh, so they're all susceptible to catching it. Person one gets COVID. They're now contagious. They turn to person two and make contact. Now, person two is also infected and contagious. Yep. And they turn to person three and it goes, goes on, you know, three to four person, four to five, five to six, on and on till yeah, everybody so on, gets so on. Right. So in this situation, 10 people have now contracted COVID and any number of them may die or develop severe complications related to it. Fun. Now let's start over and say seven out of 10 of these people, um, they have COVID antibodies because they were exposed to COVID in the past and they survived it. Mm -hmm. They're now for all intents and purposes, immune to COVID. So we'll say person one and seven have no antibodies and everybody in between, they're, they're covered. Now let's again make pay, uh, person one, patient zero, they have COVID, they're contagious. They turn to person two and COVID wants to spread to person two, but it either can't infect person two or it can't spread beyond person two. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, because once it gets into person two, person two's body is going to fight it off. That's right. So basically, uh, that's where it ends. Now, person seven still doesn't have antibodies, but they still never they never came in contact with the virus because there were enough people that were immune to it that the spread stopped. Yeah. Yeah. And that's basically how herd immunity works. Now, the, the human immune system, it uh, evolved in tandem with uh, human social structure. And uh, that evolution is why it responds this way. 
but nature's way, which is what we just talked about, that's the hard way. Natural herd immunity is reached when you pass the threshold of the amount of people that you need to uh, have antibodies to stop the spread. But the problem is along the way, a lot of people are going to get sick and a lot of people are going to die, especially with something like COVID. I was going to say, not only that, I think, didn't we figure out that with COVID, you couldn't get herd immunity? Like I know with Uh, the vaccine we can, but with just getting COVID on its own, because I know you're the antibodies within you say I contracted COVID. I recover from it miraculously. The antibodies within it die off in a certain point, almost like influenza or or some other disease. Okay, so that's that is actually a true statement. So the the issue is right now, you could potentially catch COVID again after you've had antibodies built up because they'll they'll dissipate pretty mm-hmm. quickly. It's a little bit different for every disease as far as how long your antibodies last. Like measles, they'll last your entire life. Yeah. Uh, for the average person that that can differ a little bit between people, but, uh, you might think, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be having the antibodies from the vaccine and then they're going to dissipate in three months, what's the point? It's actually a little <laughs> more complicated than that. So when you get a virus, uh, your body is going to build antibodies that will fight that virus, assuming that you survive. Mm. And in the case of COVID, they'll dissipate in a relatively short amount of time. But the reason that it's still effective to get the vaccine is because your immune system also has what they call T cells. So T cells act kind of like uh, the memory of your immune system. So while you don't have any antibodies for COVID in your body right now, the T cells have the information stored to make those antibodies faster than they would if you had never been exposed before. Yeah, I got you. So you might still get COVID, but the second time around typically is going to be a lot less severe. Yeah, which is what they're going for with this vaccine. Anyone who actually right. contracts it, contacts it. Yeah. Anyone who actually gets COVID, well, if they don't, if they get it at all, it's going to be weak. Right. Uh, so we don't know really what the interval is going to be, uh, but we we want to eradicate diseases like measles, for example. Uh, so to eradicate measles, they did the same thing. They did a, a vaccine campaign. And to figure out what their herd immunity was, they basically took a couple of basic pieces inf- of information and then did some fancy epidemiological math. So what they started word, with was, math. that's right. The, <laughs> the infection rate was the first number they needed. How many people are going to get infected? Which I so, with measles is like through the roof, isn't it? So measles, it had an infection rate of about 1 to 10 uh, as high as 1 to 12. So if one person caught it, they can infect 10 to 12 people before they're Which no is longer like contagious. astronomical when it comes to diseases, I believe. That's right. <laughs> so the second piece of information they need is population size. So what they figured out with measles was due to the infection rate and the size of the population at the time, they needed a 95% herd immunity rate. Damn. Which is almost everybody. And now we're fucking that up. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so... I think the last case of measles was what in the year 2000? No, well, so we eradicated measles in 2002. They, there's like contradicting uh, information there. Some say 2000, some say 2002. Now that's only eradicated in the United States, right? Yeah, so you still have the problem of people flying out of the states and or flying into the states and bringing it with them. But when you had so many people here who um, were vaccinated, it still didn't stand a chance. Right. Now, so, not so much. Yeah. So now that we have uh, this issue with the anti-vaxxer movement, uh, 
combined with the ultimate power of social media. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're actually having an issue where things like the measles and polio are starting to show up in our population again. Yeah, Even we're having been, outbreaks. Yeah, they've been eradicated before. But now that this anti-vaxxer movement is stopping people from getting vaccines, it's starting to pop up again. And the uh, problem that we have with that is, so say, you know, you go back to your herd immunity idea. Well, the problem with measles being so infectious is if you, even if you've been vaccinated with it, it only works, we'll say, 80% of the time. So if you have this one child who's not vaccinated, has measles, he will spread it to all the kids who are vaccinated or possibly can spread it to all the kids. So now you have people who have vaccinated their kids who are now at risk again, and you're, and it's, you're having these outbreaks in all these crazy states. It's like a, I think there's like, what, 20 states, maybe 15 states that have these... Um, non-religious exemptions for vaccines? Yeah, I think they call them philosophical exemptions, which kind of amounts to, I don't want to get it because bullshit reason. A I'm going to call whatever. that uh, the Land Rover excuse. Yeah, yeah. So that's the Land Rover excuse. And that's actually, the Land Rover excuse is spreading like wildfire. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've actually, we found doing our um, our research on this that, it's only about 2% of the population that are hardcore anti-vaxxers. You're not going to change their mind. Yeah, I thought that was crazy. Uh, yeah. There was a doctor out of Philly, which actually, I guess, or Pennsylvania, I guess a lot of um, the vaccination stuff comes out of Pennsylvania. And they said 75% of people get the vaccine, no question at all. 23% are on the fence and 2% just outright, you can't convince them that you, it's never going to happen. <laughs> no, and th those are the kind of people where you prevent, present them with evidence to the contrary of their ideas, and they just kind of double down and say, nope, it's propaganda. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to outright just dump on uh, anti-vaxxers because I understand where they're coming from. And I think one of the reasons it's getting worse and worse is, at least in, in my life, I'm starting to see there's less of uh, – people are not trusting the government, they're not trusting companies. Basically, other than, than the people who are close to them in their life, they're just not trusting them. So how are you going to trust big pharma or the government to do what's right for you other than just raking a bunch of cash? So I can understand right. where they're coming from. Yeah, uh, the government and big pharma has a uh, long sordid history, which I don't think the population deserves the result of that situation, but mm. the government deserves the criticism and so does the pharmaceutical industry that Absolutely. they're currently getting from the anti-vaxxers. But then the problem comes in where the anti-vaxxers are now having a negative impact on everybody Society. else in the population. And they're actually causing people to die because of that. Uh, one, two, actually, two of the biggest spokespersons for anti-vax are Jenny McCarthy <laughs> yes, and uh, Jim Carrey. I think they, they were married for some period of time, early 2000s or something like that. I think they were too. And I believe both of them, if you ask me, have lost their minds. Uh, yeah. There's actually a website. I think it's called Jenny McCarthy Body Count. Yeah, I looked at that. It looks like, <laughs> all right, everyone out there, I know we haven't come out with a website yet, but our website looked better than what she put out there. And it's not even done. <clears throat> no. I also <laughs> looked... Uh, I looked at vaxxed.com, which I was very hesitant to do because I really didn't want the uh, side effects of going to this website through my IP address. But that whole website feels like 
it, it almost feels like a um, like a pyramid scheme. Like they're just trying to sell me something. <laughs> it, it just I, it felt dirty when I was done. Now I just kind of took your word for that. I didn't bother to go and visit the website. Thank God, Jerry, but, you're safe. I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now the good thing we're uh, recording remotely because now they know where you are. Exactly. <laughs> I I want to say that the anti-vax arguments. While on the on the surface, the argument itself, it sounds like it's really solid, like they're really good points. But I went over most of them, uh, the ones that were really something that you could talk about. Like, you know, they have some small ones, like, I don't want to do it because of religious reason, reasons or philosophical reasons. Yeah, I don't but really look that, at that as an anti-vax movement. I think that's a legit thing. Yeah, so it is legitimate, although they could they could sidestep that. But the the point is... The anti-vax movement itself has a few major, allegedly scientific points that yeah. they back their argument up with. Which again, um, so the problem is here, you can consp- you can literally throw all the data in the world at the at these people. It's not going to matter because they think that all the data is being produced by big pharma, and right. some of it is. <laughs> yeah, some of it is, and I guess to their credit, that part is true. But there are a lot of independent bodies that that do this research as well. Oh, yeah. There's uh, tons of them out there. But the first main point that anti-vax uh, proponents go with uh, is that vaccines contain toxic substances like aluminum and mercury. And obviously, heavy metals and things like mercury, you can get, you can get a lot of neurological issues if you are overexposed to that and it, it builds up in your body. The thing with the aluminum, I mean... One thing you have aluminum in you right now, whether you've yeah. gotten a vaccine anytime recently, you eat aluminum in the food you eat and the water you drink. It's everywhere. It's the most abundant resource we have. Yeah. So I guess the question is, do vaccines contain these substances? And yes, they do. Well, but I think that they do and they don't. They some of them they right. got rid of. We'll, we'll get into that. Right. But I think that in this case, the term toxic is kind of a disingenuous argument because, as we know, toxic toxicity depends on quantity. So aluminum, that's, so they, they got two big issues here. They have aluminum and mercury that they're really against being in a vaccine. Yep. So aluminum, why is it in your vaccine? Basically, it's used as what's called an adjuvant in the vaccine. And what that does is it allows them to use less of the required dose of the actual virus if it's a live attenuated virus so that you have less of the virus in your body. And by doing that with aluminum, the aluminum boosts the immune response associated with the live attenuated virus that they're putting in your body. So it basically makes your body respond to the antibody or the, the virus that they're putting in. Right. So they can use a smaller amount of virus and boost the immune response from your body. Um, and they're actually aluminum salts. And it turns out that they're actually not the best option as an adjuvant in a uh, vaccine. They're used uh, specifically because of their safety profile. And they've been used in over, uh, you know, they've been used in millions of vaccines for the past 80 years. And they're actually, there's a very small amount. It's only about 850 micrograms. Which is astronomically tiny. Right. And to put it in perspective for you, we eat or drink 30 to 50 milligrams per day. Yeah. That's 35 times the dose in a vaccine. I often That's chew day. on aluminum. I'm not going to lie. I've literally had a piece of aluminum in my mouth many times. <laughs> but working with our hands, that tends to happen. It's true. Uh, so how does mercury get into a vaccine? 
Uh, don't they use it as like a preservative? Kind of. It's not directly introduced as mercury. It's a chemical called thimerosal. And what that is, in a vaccine, they use it as a preservative to inhibit growth of bacteria and fungi. Because in a vaccine, fungi is not a fun guy. <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> I'm a dad. I'm a big fan of dad jokes, and you're going to hear more. Uh, but they use those in vaccine serums. Now, how does that become mercury? Basically, when your body is introduced to uh, therm- thimerosal, it metabolizes it into what they call ethyl mercury, which is a less toxic and more rapidly eliminated version of mercury than the anti-vax version, which is what they're calling methyl mercury. Now, methyl mercury does exist and it is more toxic, but the anti-vax movement is saying that this is what's in your vaccine when the, the reality is it's ethyl mercury in the vaccine, which is far less of an issue. Which actually in the United States, <clears throat> and again, we're getting conflicting information here, it's either 99 or 2001, even though they, they realize it wasn't dangerous at all, they removed it from all vaccines except the flu. Right. So around the turn of the century, they took thimerosal out. And uh, as Grizz says, uh, there's a bit of conflicting information on how this works. From what I've found, it's only removed from childhood vaccines. It's still in uh, some other vaccines, right? Yeah. It, basically, the ones that they, they kept it in mainly are flu vaccines. Right. So... There's not very much of that in your vaccine either. No, uh, you're everything that, we, that they're talking about here is minuscule. Yeah, they're very small amounts. So you're actually exposed to higher amounts of mercury in one can of tuna versus the flu vaccine. Yeah, but I so, love that tuna, man. I'm just just keep eating it. And I've actually I've actually heard a lot of things, not necessarily from anti-vax, but those type of people where they don't want anyone to eat fish because there's mercury in it. Yeah, there, there is a, that's a whole nother topic, but there's a lot of mercury right. in the oceans these days. That's true. But one can of tuna, which I think is 180 grams, it has 69 micrograms of mercury, whereas the flu vaccine has 25 micrograms. And it's, so ra- like I said, it's rapidly eliminated. That the vaccine has about half of a can of tuna of mercury? Yes. <laughs> so if I only eat half a can of tuna, I'm good. That's right. And... <laughs> According to this, if uh, it's based on mercury, you're also good to go with the flu. Just <laughs> oh, keep, sweet. keep eating a lot of tuna. <laughs> if I had known all um, these years. <laughs> so they also have uh, an issue with another chemical, which is formaldehyde. Mm, delicious right. formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is a very scary word. Um, so I, I've been to other countries in this world. Yeah. And uh, I went to Thailand for a brief period of my life. And a lot of their beer, and I know a lot of other countries, they, they have formaldehyde in the beer. I have drinking a lot of formaldehyde. So I've never, knowingly, I've never knowingly consumed formaldehyde. Uh, I've never smoked a cigarette a couple of times, so I guess I have in that case. But formaldehyde, while I wouldn't suggest drinking it because that will kill you, it's fine to have it in your vaccine. Because again, these are very small amounts. Wait, so I'm dead? We're all dead, just oh, at God. different rates. <laughs> so formaldehyde is actually used in the vaccine because it's part of the manufacturing process. But again, it's present in what they call residual quantities. So they're actually barely quantifiable. You almost can't see it. It's, it's almost untraceable in there. Now, why is it not an issue? Why Basically, is the, the amount not an issue? 
yeah, why is it not an issue that vaccines have formaldehyde? Basically, it's already in your body. Yeah. I mean, you get it from every the environment, don't you? Yeah, you get it from all over the place. So the human body has more circulating formaldehyde at any one time, any one day, than you're ever going to get from a vaccine. Times and that there's actually more for formaldehyde in an apple than you would get in the hepatitis B, DTaP, and polio vaccines combined. Sweet. So if you really have a problem with formaldehyde, you should stop eating food. I also, I found an interesting fact that the total quantity of formaldehyde found in an infant's circulation at any point would be about 1.1 milligrams. That's 1,500 times more than the amount of an infant would be exposed to in any individual vaccine. Right. And that actually uh, will bring us right on to our next point here that anti-vaxxers make. And that is that too many vaccines can overload a child's immune system. So what do you think of that? Um, I'm going to call it. I'm, I'm going to raise that Land Rover flag. Uh, <laughs> I just I don't believe it. Like, dude, anyone who's a parent and if you're not good on you, whatever. Uh, kids are like ridiculous ridiculously ridiculously durable like yeah they, they can go through anything and they just keep on going far better built than a land rover oh <laughs> literally <laughs> but basically yeah we can we can definitively say that this point that vaccines can overload a child's immune system is just plain wrong so basically let's break it down here the bacteria let me let me back up a second here so when you're first born your very first breath. You're really talking about backing up there. All right. <laughs> yeah, we're backing right back up to where you came from. All right, cool. So when, when, you, when you're first born, with your first breath, your body is colonized with bacteria. That's how much exposure you have as a child. Is the womb sterile? Um, you know, I don't have that answer. I'm inclined to believe it's probably not 100% sterile, but it is isolated from a lot. Yeah. I mean, whatever your 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 mother is getting, you're getting the yeah, antibodies. Yeah, because your your blood system is tied in, right? Is yeah. that how that works? Yeah. So it's not really an issue because you're already exposed from the day you're born to far more than that. But your immune system is evolved to combat almost an unlimited number and unlimited kind of pathogen. Yeah, we'd be dead otherwise. <laughs> right. And the birth aside, the average kid on an average day is exposed to more antigens in one day than all of the vaccines in their entire life combined. Yes, it's called kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you have kids. I have kids. I can tell you with 100% certainty, I have never been more sick in my life than when my daughter went to daycare. We were oh. sick for an entire year. I thought that I was dying because I just <laughs> never seemed to get better. You were dying, Jerry. Uh, like I said, we're all dying just at a different rate. Uh, some a little faster than others. One thing that I don't I don't know how much you want to get into it. The whole, there's been a problem with vaccines the entire, since the first vaccine started, right? Mm -hmm. And people have always questioned them, always thought they were voodoo magic back in the day or witchcraft and wizardry and all that stuff. But the, the, the modern day anti-vaxxer movement ties back to, I believe, 1998 with Andrew Wakefield. Did you do any research ah. on him? Yes, uh, that was... I'm going to say an, a, a, a uh, malicious study done in the UK. So I, I had known about it a little bit. And we'll, we'll give you a little detail. So this, he's, a, he's a former medical doctor. And they, uh, they uh, what do you want to call it? 
disavowed him. I don't know what the uh, word yeah, is. Yeah, they there. took away his basically they took away his right to practice medicine. Yeah. So this doctor in 1998 who had already done some malicious things was trying to prove himself right so he gets he does a study with 12 kids and they're pre-chosen. He gets to pick who the fuck they are. And with this study, he proves that there's a problem with the MMR vaccine, which is uh, measles, mumps, and rubella, I believe, right? Yeah, measles, measles and mumps, he's and trying rubella. To... And on that point, I just want to point out that you don't have to be a medical professional or a data scientist to know that 12 kids is not a study. No, not at all. And so he's trying to tie it together with autism. So he puts out this book, uh, he puts out a article in The Lancet. It basically, everyone blows up on this thing. People start taking it, believing it. And other doctors start looking into it and find that he had like all of his studies, all of his findings were flawed. Um, he had conflicts and interests. Uh, he was involved in a lawsuit claiming links between MMR and, and autism. So he's trying to prove right. himself right. So he's not going to get sued. And in the end, starts a movement throughout the world because it, it is throughout the world now where people believe him and are not getting vaccines. Right. And they actually, the governing body that investigated that situation determined that he actually intentionally fabricated information to suit his needs. So I don't know, maybe we need to get rid of Land Rover and put in uh, Andrew Wakefield. I, I like I like Land Rover better. <laughs> yeah. So basically, don't be an Andrew Wakefield. Uh, but on the topic of autism, that's another point that anti-vaxxers are still stuck on. Uh, they claim that vaccines directly cause autism. And I'm going to go ahead and say absolute fucking Land Rover. I, I couldn't agree more. And here's the thing. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know, I have two autistic boys. And I do not blame vaccines for their autism. The problem when you have something like this, so many people need something to blame. They need someone to point the finger at and they get, they, they'll literally do whatever they can to, to take the blame off of themselves and put it on someone else. And yeah, all right. Now, that's also not to say that it's really the parent's fault, but it's also not the fault Here's of the vaccine. Here's my thing. And my boys yeah. are high functioning. And, and I, feel, I feel that if, if you have autistic kids and they're not high functioning, uh, listen, I go out to you. But with autism, stop looking at it as it's this horrible problem. Like in the beginning, it's hard not to. You think about your kids and you're like, oh, shit. You know, you're, you're human. You're trying to think, how can you fix them? They're, they don't need to be fixed. They're kid, like, I've watched my boys grow and do crazy things. And like, in some areas, they are insanely intelligent. And they just have problems socially sometimes. And so we need to stop this idea that autism is really that much of an issue. Yeah, there are parts of autism that are really, really, really hard to deal with. But that you, you don't blame vaccines. Vaccines isn't the issue. Now, in my case, we could look back and they told us that we didn't have any genetic markings, both my wife and myself. And actually, they didn't really care about me at all. They're like, yeah, fuck you. You're the Land Rover of, of people. We want to see your wife. Um, it just it came. They they said we didn't have any genetic markings. But if you once you realize what to look for, and I get all autistic parents or parents of autistic children, once you know what to look for, you can see it everywhere. And you can see the markings of people who are high functioning. And we were start to seeing right. it in family members and stuff like that. And you're like, 
I'm not blaming vaccines for this. I'm not blaming anyone. I, I love my kids the way they are, and I'm going to help them be the best they can. I'm not looking for, a, for someone to burn. We have to get rid of that mentality. That's true. Um, and it's actually, it's quantifiable to basically say that vaccines don't cause autism. We can prove it. To kind of go on to that next topic, what year were your two boys born? Uh, so Jace was born in 09 and Ben was born in 15. 2015. All right. So you were going through this before there was a lot more information, because right now there's a lot of information that uh, supports the idea that vaccines don't cause autism. Um, and one specific report that came out is a really extensive report that came out. I couldn't find the, the exact date, uh, but I know it came out in 2018. And it was a study done by MIT in conjunction with other gene study programs for the cause of autism. Uh, are you familiar I'm with not, this one? I, we didn't look into the whole vaccine thing at all because we didn't care. We didn't need someone to blame. Right. So it, it, it was kind of, it was a, a non-point for you guys. Yeah, it didn't exactly. matter. Um, so in this study, they identified 99 specific genes associated with fetal development in the first and second trimester uh, that are related to autism. And they have what they call a serial MRI scan, which I'm not an MRI professional. I don't entirely understand what a serial MRI yeah, no is other than it's a form of MRI, which is a magnetic resonance image. So it allows them to do brain scans in real time and look at what your brain is doing and look at the uh, brain development through various stages. But what they did was they, they found that through serial MRI scans armed with this information on these specific genes, they can now show autism has a sequence of events that begins at the fetal stage around first or second trimester. Autism, as you probably noticed yourself, it doesn't typically present clinical expression until the child is around 19 yep. months old. Uh, I mean, we we had someone in the family who had seen it before, so we caught it wicked early. Right. Uh, but I wouldn't say that's no, the No, it's norm. not. So it's also, you know, it's not it's not a steadfast rule. It's, it's around 19 months. You basically it's, start to it pick it up when your bit. kid starts to have problem-solving, like, mechanics going on. When it just comes down to... Right. Um, uh, gross and fine motor skills, you're not going to see it. I mean, well, I would, but a normal person who's never seen it before, they won't catch it. No. Now, unfortunately, this 19-month time frame, it tends to coincide with childhood vaccine yep. schedules. Uh, I think the last one that they get in that general time frame is around 18 months old. Uh, my kids are much older than that now, so I don't even remember. But that gives you a situation where you have correlation without causation. And of course, a situation like that it's basically a dream for people who want to prove that vaccines cause autism because the timeline lines yeah, up. You, I don't know about you, but when we were, when I was researching this, you, I saw so many things where you have these uh, anti-vaxxer people who would say, you know, I, they got their shot and I was bringing them home and I could see it in their eyes that they had changed. It's like, well, yeah, most shots that your kids get afterwards, they're pretty lethargic. They're, they're kind of down and out for the day, but the chain, the, the, right. the issue that you're, that you're response. seeing was already there. Right. So, you know, you have this issue of correlation without causation, which it comes up a lot in the anti-vax argument. But what this study also found was the prevalence of autism and its clinical expression in unvaccinated populations has no quantifiable difference compared to vaccinated So you're saying that... It doesn't happen yeah, I was going to say, you're saying that if we looked at 10,000 people in unvaccinated and 10,000 people who are vaccinated, there's no difference in the number of autistic kids being born. Now, outside of standard deviations, it's pretty much the same rate of uh, autism uh, expression. 
So basically that right there is enough information to say, all right, it's probably not vaccines. Yeah, but you believe in science. I do believe in science. I'm a man of science. These people are driven by fear. That's true. And that they can't blame themselves. <laughs> well, that's part of being driven by fear. Um, now, what they also found was that they can do these serial MRI scans, and they found that as the brain volume increases, the clinical expression of autism spectrum disorder will increase as well. So basically, the bigger the brain gets that already has these markers, the more autistic it gets. Now, that's not to say that as you get become an adult, it gets worse, because again, it, it really tends to present around 19 months, 19 months old. Uh, but again, it's a spectrum disorder, so everybody's a little bit different. Uh, but with, the, with this info, the serial MRI can be used to allow autism experts to predict with 90% accuracy whether or not autism is present, and they can be scanned as young as six months old, or even in fetal scans, they can find it. I don't know how many pregnant women want to get an MRI while they're pregnant, though. Yeah, it seems, that seems like a bad idea, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's perfectly healthy, I believe, but uh, I don't think any of them would want to. No, most, I think, would turn it down unless they had reason to believe they were at risk. And I don't blame them. No. Um, so, yeah, we can basically sum up that, no, vaccines don't cause autism. I don't believe you, Jerry. That's okay. You're, you've been bought out by Big Pharma. If I had been bought out by Big Pharma, I would have a much better setup for this podcast. <laughs> Bullshit. You're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Land Rover. Ah, Land Rover. God damn it. So, what's the next point that anti-vax tries to make? It's that natural immunity is better than vaccine immunity. Yeah, it's working great. <laughs> so I guess the correct answer to that is yes and no. A wild infection antibody, they tend to last longer than vaccine antibodies, but those wild antibodies come at the cost of actual high-risk infection. I'm going to say that this is a first world problem. <laughs> it's actually, I wouldn't even say first world. This is actually an economic problem. Going back to herd immunity, they find that you're not going to get the same results in low-income societies. What do you mean? So low-income cities, uh, low-income countries, they actually have a much harder time reaching herd immunity. Well, okay. I can understand that. But I mean, it's just as the, the anti-vaxxer thing to me is a first world problem because I, yeah, I highly I, okay, doubt. Okay, I can agree with that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like only people who live in a world where all right, viruses aren't running around like crazy. We're not, you know, Ebola isn't running outside the door right now. I mean, granted, COVID is, right. but that's, it's not normal. If you lived in Africa and Ebola was out the door every day, you'd probably be like, yeah, give me the fucking vaccine. I'm done with this. That's true. But Ebola itself, too, is not really as dangerous first as they make it out to be, but it's also far less contagious than COVID is. Yes. I mean, Ebola sucks. I wouldn't want it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely wouldn't want it. But yeah, you're right. The first first world countries, they have issues with anti-vax because for one, vaccines really aren't available in these le underdeveloped mm. countries. So they have these wild antibodies that they got at the cost of infection. For us, we can get a vaccine for almost any given disease that we have to deal with. Uh, but vaccine antibodies come with no infection and very mild side effects. And to kind of put it in perspective for you, let's look at measles again. You can get antibodies one of two ways. You can get measles or you can get a measles vaccine. Now, measles causes two deaths out of 1,000 infected in developed countries. And it causes 40 deaths out of 1,000 infected in undeveloped countries. Damn. 
So there's that disparity again. That's the lack of access to the funding and the medical research available and the distribution. Well, it's also probably just due to the lack of medical facilities as well. Right. That's the distribution. They, they can't get these vaccines. Uh, it's not really fiscally responsible uh, from the, the perspective of the people who actually have to pay for this to send it out to them. Yeah, but more to your numbers of deaths per thousand, I'm going to say that your deaths per thousand goes up because your availability of medical professionals is not there. Yeah, that's true. So the MMR vaccine, which is the measles, mumps, and rubella, that's the alternative to actually getting measles if you want yes, to have Yes, which antibodies. both you and I have gotten it. Right. Now, to compare it to the wild antibodies you'd get by catching measles, the MMR vaccine causes one severe adverse reaction in one million vaccine recipients. So yeah, basically, I don't want to deal with natural immunity myself as a first world person. Yeah, no, I don't either. If I can just get a vaccine and have some mild side effects like a fever and some aches and pains, it's far better than risking getting killed by measles. Well, perfect example is right now, we're not COVID. We can't get herd immunity. We don't have the, if the magical number of infection rate and everything else. We just can't achieve it. It's not going to happen. If you talk to all the medical experts, they're saying it's, we cannot reach herd immunity. Now, Trump is like, yeah, fuck it. Just go do it. <laughs> right. Uh, another issue where the herd immunity thing presents itself uh, related to COVID. COVID is a virus that can mutate, whereas things like uh, rubella, mumps, and measles, they don't mutate, at least not to the degree where you need a different vaccine every year. So with COVID, you can get a vaccine this year, just like the flu, and it may or may not be the exact vaccine you'll need next year, yeah. assuming that it's a year apart. But that does not mean it's not effective. Because when you get a vaccine for, let's say, the flu, and this vaccine is from last year's strain, this year's strain is still a mutated version of the one from last year. So while it's not 100% effective, it's much better than not getting a vaccine. Oh, okay, I got you. So you'll still have some kind of protection versus none Yeah, you're not going to have 100%, but you'll have 20 or something. Yeah, I don't know the exact number, but yeah, it's a, it's a hell of a lot more than zero. Yeah, I'm just throwing those out there for an image. So again, we can sum up the fact that natural immunity is better as an argument. It doesn't hold up against logic. No. So what's the next anti-vax argument? Uh, this one actually hits a little close to home for myself. They claim that vaccines cause autoimmune disorders, asthma, and allergies. Yeah, this is, this is the big one. And while I look like the pinnacle of human creation, I have all three. <laughs> This is a big one because this is what starts a lot of people, whether that's men, women, or otherwise, uh, joining right. the anti-vax movement because they go get a vaccine. And because, yeah, all right, you know, it, it is making your system work. And though usually those adverse effects is your body having a reaction to it. And like I heard so many of people like getting all sorts of autoimmune diseases and they're blaming mm -hmm. the vaccine for it. Like, okay. <laughs> You had it there already. It's just, yeah, all right, this might have lit it up, but it's just when it would have lit it up otherwise. Now, there's, there's a lot of misinformation going on around here as well uh, regarding autoimmune diseases and things like asthma and allergies, which I think are technically in the same family as an autoimmune disorder. Um, Again, not medical professionals. <laughs> so, no, asthma and allergies are not autoimmune disorders, but they are an issue with your immune system. Okay, so... How can we say, no, definitively, vaccines don't cause these issues? Well, for one, there's never been one single repeatable or credible study to support 
that claim. Now, anti-vaxxers, they associate MMR in particular with autoimmune disorder called idiopathic thrombocytopenia. What? Idiopathic thrombocytopenia. What? <laughs> exactly. So that, that issue aside. Uh, the Latin that you're saying there makes me sound like you're, it sounds like you're saying someone's stupid. Yes. Uh, hardcore anti-vaxxers, I'm going to have to say yes. Oh, all right, cool. That's the autoimmune disorder that they tend to latch onto and associate with the MMR vaccine. They really love that MMR vaccine. Uh, well, it's a really easy one to choose. It's been around a long time, and that gives it the opportunity to have a lot of correlation without causation. So studies actually show that vaccinated kids present one out of 30,000 cases. So one kid out of 30,000 vaccinated kids will present with idiopathic thrombocytopenia. What is this? <laughs> this is um, just a bad reaction. Actually, no, it's, it's an autoimmune disorder. Oh, okay. And I actually, I didn't collect enough information on that. So while I'm going through these numbers, why don't you do a quick search so we don't give them the wrong information on idiopathic thrombocytopenia. <laughs> now, kids vaccinated with MMR present this one out of 30,000 times. Now, kids that survive rubella, which means they, they had rubella and they didn't get the MMR vaccine, they present this autoimmune disorder one out of 3,000 cases. So already it's not looking good for the anti-vax case against this. Now let's look at measles again. All right, you ready? Yeah, go ahead. What's that big word. idiopathic <laughs> thrombocytopenia? That's, that stupid word. is an immune disorder in which the blood doesn't clot normally. This condition is more commonly referred to as immune thrombo blah, 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 blah. Or ITP. I like that one. Let's stick with ITP. Okay, so it's uh, basically a blood clotting disorder associated with autoimmune disorder. Yes, it causes bruises. <laughs> oh, okay. So, uh, I was saying measles. If you, if you look at the uh, prevalence of ITP in people who survived measles without having a vaccine, this presents in one out of 6,000 cases. So, your rate is significantly higher of this particular autoimmune disease that they're latching onto if you don't have a vaccine. What? <laughs> so they're, 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 what you're basically telling me here is anyone who believes in the whole anti-vaxxer thing is not very good at math. They're either not good at math or they're very good at not looking anything up. Well, I think a lot of it, A, I think a lot of it's a, uh, they do the Google search, which I actually found it harder to find things than... I thought. <laughs> yeah, uh, because so there's an issue. Like I actually pointed this out to you. If you look up something like uh, the anti-vax movement or just really um, vaccines in general, you're going to get two things. One is information about the latest vaccine, in this case, COVID. And two is anti-vax movement information. Uh, because as we have gone over in previous episodes, the algorithms show people what they're most likely to click on. So we have this issue where people are looking up information and they're being led to anti-vax information. So I actually look, um, found, uh, I don't know what year it started, but okay. the government has pushed social media, that being the, all the big guys, to basically take out things that had anti-vaxxer ideas that didn't have any credible information. So that that's why it was hard right. for me to find info on Unless you actually like legitimately type in the anti-vax site, it's getting harder to find. But the people are out there. It's like the dark webs. Yeah, if you just do a basic Google search, you'll get some 
some really basic information, but nothing that you can actually use to kind of argue against any of their ideas. Unless you want to buy so a vaxxed book. <laughs> that's right. Uh, which is not a bad idea. Uh, it's something, it's an entertaining read. Is it? Did you read it? No. Okay. But I'm assuming anything that that uh, pushes anti-vax is going to be fun to read. Uh, I believe, uh, to, to me, this is why I, I kind of think it's like the pyramid scheme. It gives you a place to submit a, basically how you had a bad trip <laughs> with vaccines. <laughs> and they take that and they shove it into a book and then they publish it and they make money off it. <laughs> so I'm not going to say that it's accurate information in this book, but... I would recommend that if you if you kind of want to have a better place to stand when you're arguing their point, it's a good idea to read it because it's much easier to prove somebody wrong when you fully understand their idea. Oh, absolutely. And again, I can understand where they're coming from. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely started from, I guess, good intentions. Yeah. All of it's out of love. Well, hopefully love. <laughs> Yes, everything starts out of love. In this case, anti-vaxxers, uh, they're willing to slaughter old people and children out of love. It makes sense. Yeah, so, you know, because they, they really are. They're killing a lot of people by pushing oh, yeah. this. Um, anyway, so that was the information based on the autoimmune disorder. Asthma, allergies, and autoimmune disease in general is on the rise. That much is true. Uh, we, were, we were actually talking about this yesterday because uh, I had some issues with the medication I'm supposed to take. And I, if you recall, I was telling you about how it's a lot more prevalent in modern Western society now versus 50 years ago. Yeah. Not, not anything specific, just autoimmune diseases, allergies, and asthma. Which I always go to um, when, the, when I hear things like that. And I, I asked you this is specific thing. Right. Is it actually getting worse? Is the percentage getting higher of people or is it just a number? Because if you just look, population's increasing so fast. That, yeah, of course right. the number is going to get bigger because of, you know, how things happen. But in your case, and I believe in the asthma case, the percentage is actually getting higher within the population. Right. So a lot of people could say that, well, we just know what it is now. But I think it's more along the lines of there's actually more people experiencing clinical expression of these issues. Um, so, again, these are on the rise, but there's no quantifiable link to vaccines. And again, correlation without causation. What they actually think causes autoimmune disease is the way that Western society is today, and it's been increasingly becoming more that way since 50 years ago or so, uh, we're too clean, which may sound hard to believe if you know anyone outside of your house. A lot of people are pretty nasty. No, I absolutely buy into that one. Uh, yeah, because your immune system is tied directly to the bacteria in your gut. When you sanitize everything, you wash everything too much. You don't expose yourself to any of these outside bacteria that you would have normally gotten. It's going to change the makeup of what they call your gut flora. Mm -hmm. So your biome. bacteria that lives in your intestines, the biome is no longer what it should be. And your body relies heavily on that for autoimmune or for immune regulation. Which actually, I, so I, if, years ago, I looked into spending 10 water, 10, 10 water, 10 minutes in the ocean will change your biome like some ridiculous percentage. So everything right. you touch in life is affecting it. I mean, I've seen it in my life where, you know, you go to other countries and people drink the water and you accidentally do the same thing. And some guys and some women have adverse reactions to that and some don't. It all comes down to what their bacteria in their body likes and doesn't like. Right. Now, <clears throat> so for my autoimmune disease, I have ulcerative colitis. You mean your bitch internals? Which, yes, I have bitch internals. Oh, okay. uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, 
Uh, I tend to equate it with Crohn's disease because most people have heard of that one. Uh, it's very similar. The difference is it only affects the large intestine, not your entire digestive tract. And essentially what it is, is the internal surface of the intestines tends to uh, develop ulcers. Uh, it can actually rupture, uh, but it's a lot of inflammation. So basically your body is attacking its own intestines. That's hot. Yes. <laughs> you want some more of that, don't you? I just realized, Jerry, you have the Land Rover of bodies. <laughs> I have the Land Rover of internals. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. My that's right. exterior is a hard, sexy shell. And it's like that to protect my very, very soft and gushy insides. It's doing a great job. Uh, but there's good news on the horizon. Uh, you and I have talked about this before. But because it's the 21st century, we're making all these fantastic discoveries and medical advancements. So for my disease specifically, which is very closely related to the gut flora, there is a potential solution coming down the pipeline. You don't say. So to speak. Do you recall me bringing up fecal transplants? Oh, yes, yes. So basically, what I asked Grizz to do was shit in my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so what they, what they did with this was they take the fecal matter, their shit, of a healthy person who doesn't have any autoimmune diseases, and they basically turn, stir it up into a slurry and turkey-based it into the ass of somebody who has bad gut flora. Which, the, the thing that I don't understand, one of the, the stipulations, the reason he brought this up to me was, other than I'm just an amazing person is that you can't have the per, the donator can never have taken antibiotics ever which blows my mind cuz to me yeah all right so when you take antibiotics you're literally killing off your biome you're killing everything that all the bacteria in your body but right. you then rebuild it again and that but that's only if you have a fully functional and correctly functioning uh biome and for me I don't that's why that's one of the reasons why they believe I have an autoimmune disorder. So you're saying because of the bacteria that you've come in contact with life in life, you have an autoimmune disorder? No, not because of what I've come in contact with, because of too many antibiotics and uh too much sanitation. It killed the biome that I should have had. Are you super which... clean or did you have too many STDs in life, Jerry? <laughs> I'll never tell. Uh, no, I did take a fuck ton of antibiotics as a kid because I had a lot of ear infections. Uh, and of course, right. of course, pediatricians, not to knock them, I mean, they do what they're trained to do. When a kid comes in with an ear infection, they say, you, antibiotics, come back in a week. Well, our, our views on that have changed. You obviously grew up in the era, and I grew up in the era where they just, everyone got antibodies for everything. Oh, you got a cut? Here's my, here's my antibiotics. Where now they're yeah. starting to get away from that because they realize they were doing damage. And now they're, yeah, they they're, they'd how, rather how they have you up. sit it out. Yeah, now now antibiotics is not the first line of defense, which it should not be. No. You should let the body uh, solve its own problems, heal itself where it can. Uh, but yeah, so we can say autoimmune disease, it's not caused by vaccines. No, it's caused by Land Rover. Now, less, we also have an issue with less exposure to bacteria and other contagions because we're too clean. So basically, Grizz, we can sum up that vaccines are not a problem. Basically. Anti-vax movement has no base in reality. It's a whole bunch of people who are just scared to death. That's it. Uh, so They would never buy a Land Rover. <laughs> so, Grizz, let's talk about these new vaccines they're rolling out for COVID. Yeah. 
There's a lot of questions about this new mRNA type of vaccine that they're making, uh, the one that they actually already started releasing in the UK. And who's doing that one? So this new format is coming specifically from Pfizer in conjunction with BioNTech and Moderna. Okay, so all three of them are so, doing that. Right, but Pfizer and BioNTech are working together. Moderna is doing this on their it's own. It's on its own. Uh, they're, very, they're very similar technologies. Now, what does mRNA stand for? And it's actually messenger ribonucleic acid. And if you remember high school biology class... Nope. <laughs> organic cells have RNA, ribonucleic acid. And they actually use mRNA to tell the cells of your body what kind of protein to make. In the case of COVID, the mRNA of the COVID cell tells it how to make that spike protein that gives it that spiked tennis ball look that you see on the news all the time. And these spike proteins are what actually gives the COVID cell the ability to attach to our cells and infect them. So basically this spike that sticks off the side of it, it's what actually holds onto the cell. We'll say it's like Velcro. Yep, and that's actually the perfect analogy. It works a lot like Velcro. So this COVID cell goes into your body and it sticks to your cells like Velcro. And you can't really peel it off. So next thing you know, you're infected and you're dying of COVID. And Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna, they all kind of simultaneously figured out that they can make a synthetic version of the mRNA that tells the COVID uh, cell to make this spike protein. And the way it works is they inject it into you as a vaccine, this synthetic version, and it doesn't have the ability to replicate. So what it does is it enters your cells and interrupts your DNA's signal to the uh, cell membrane, and it tells your own cell to make these COVID proteins. And then as soon as the COVID protein is made, it just kind of, uh, the mRNA just dies and uh, dissipates. Uh, it can't replicate, so you don't have to worry about catching COVID, for one, because it can't replicate, and for two, because it's not actually COVID. Now, the only major problem with these vaccines is that they're, they're not really stable at room temperature until after they've actually been injected into you. This is also probably why it needs the super cold. Yeah, that's right. And actually, the Moderna vaccine uses the warmest temperature, which is uh, 32 degrees, so freezing. And Pfizer and BioNTech uses an even colder temperature because they lose stability uh, if they're above zero. Now, it sounds incredibly complex. And I think it actually is. Yeah, the actual science of it, I'm sure, is insanely complex. But we're trying to dumb it down for you. Yeah. And me. And <laughs> yes, and because we're actually dumb, it's very easy to dumb it down. <laughs> um, so Pfizer actually, uh, with their BioNTech uh, partnership, uh, what they did was uh, they did human trials, which typically takes up to 10 or 20 years. But because of the special situation we're in, they got they got all this basically pushed through in a matter of months. Yeah. Which was and, due to a shit ton of funding. Yeah. Uh, that's basically the biggest roadblock when it comes to making a vaccine is money. Yeah. And because of the situation we're in with COVID, we threw everything at it. it, it, it there was no shortage of funding for this. Uh, so their, their phase three trials, which they recently completed, uh, they involved 42,000 people. Damn. Now, roughly half of them got the experimental vaccine, which is the mRNA. The other half got a placebo. And in total, 170 people got COVID-19 during this study. Only eight of them were in the vaccine group. 162 had received the placebo. So only around 5% of cases were in the vaccine group. Yeah. 
this is where the 95% figure comes from when Pfizer says it's 95% effective. Yep. Uh, it's a very good number. And the World Health Organization has said it would be happy with even 50%. <laughs> so we're well, we're well above so the, the expectations. Again, we're kind of buying into why the anti-vaxxers don't trust who. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, have, they have really low standards, apparently. <laughs> They're the Land Rover of organizations. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at their response to everything that happened over the course of the last year, I don't really know how much of it is accurate, but it doesn't seem like they did a very good job. Yeah, it's hard to say. We've never been through one of these in a long time. Last time you're going to say is what, 1920? Well, even before well, then. Yeah, the last one on this scale, yeah, it was, it was 1918 for the Spanish flu. Yep. Now, that being said... Those are, Moderna is roughly the same thing. Uh, they have a slightly different method for making this mRNA vaccine, but it works roughly the same way. So it's not really much to talk about there because it's, just, it's essentially the same as Pfizer. The problem I see with these vaccines now is you have so many people who, that remember those numbers we went back to? 75% are going to say, yep, let's do it. 23 yeah. is going to, is on the fence. I think that number is askew with this because now it's been politicized. There are people who believe this isn't even a thing. I mean, I've been seeing it more and more where people just, they're, they're, how are you going to get, we had a buddy bring it up today about mandatory vaccines. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't like being forced to do anything. Right. And I think that they're going to find, especially in America, if you try and force people to do it, you're going to get a lot of pushback. Yeah. Which they actually yeah. They one thing about Americans is they don't like being told what to do. No, and they put forth that bill. Uh, well, I don't even know if they made a bill of it, but they were the they put out the idea, the feeler of saying giving people money to get the the vaccine, and that's not a bad idea. But Congress is never going to go for it. No, Mitch McConnell is going to shut that down immediately. Yeah, we, we can't give peasants money. We, we can't even give people money now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now we know uh, roughly what's going to happen with the. Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and we know how they work. And those are the ones that we're looking at here in the United States, UK. Um, but there's been a lot of a lot of talk in the news about China and Russia coming out with their own vaccine. You mean the uh, zombie vaccine? Yeah. So, uh, what has it been? A month or two since they started giving that out? I have no clue. I, I know they said I they think, had it a while ago. Yeah, I think it's been maybe. A month, maybe two, they've been passing out this vaccine and administering it to all their citizens. So I figure we have another four months before the zombies start. Wow, happening. you think it's that long? They yeah. can't swim well? Yeah. No, they can't swim well. Uh, they tend to just walk along the bottom. That's quite a long walk. But so yeah, all right, I got you. They actually, they're very different from the, the vaccines that we're going to be getting here in America. Yeah, what? Uh, I would say, what's so that? What is China's? So China... They got theirs from two companies, Sinovac and Sinopharm. And theirs is a little more traditional. It uses an inactive, in, inactivated form of COVID. Mm. Yeah, and they were uh, getting, what, 80%, 85% efficient? Uh, they were as high as 86% efficacy on their vaccine. That's not bad. Which, you know, if you look at the WHO's guidelines, they're <laughs> we're well within good. it. <laughs> uh, now, I, what about... To be honest with you, I don't understand how we could even reach herd immunity using WHO's guideline. Uh, I don't know. I don't think you can. Now, what about uh, Umbrella Corporation in Russia? Ah, uh, yes. That one is very intriguing. 
It's what they call a chimpadino virus. It's monkey? <laughs> yeah, it's monkey. So I'm sure I'm going to fuck this up. Yeah, but of course. the company name is... Umbrella. I th- yeah, Gamalaya. Yep, so Umbrella. <laughs> so uh, for all intents and purposes, here on out, Gamalaya is now Umbrella. So in Russia, the Umbrella vaccine, it was made with support from the Russia Direct Investment Fund, and it uses two different shots in what's known as a prime boost scheme. So both shots rely on supposedly harmless adenoviruses uh, as gene delivery vectors. Uh, Researchers have engineered them to hold the gene for the surface protein of SARS-CoV-2, and the first shot used adenovirus 26 as the vector for the coronavirus surface protein. The second shot used the adenovirus number 5, and participants were evaluated for COVID-19 21 days after receiving the AD26 shot. When they came in for the trial site to uh, when they came into the trial site to receive their AD5 booster, I love Russia. Now they claim they claim they're somewhere in the ninety percent range, ninety to ninety five. Of course, big cock. Yeah, so big cock Russia and the Umbrella Corporation, <laughs> they're saving the world with uh, Chimpadino virus. Now, just to be clear, it's not just COVID that they're stuffing into this adenovirus. They did genetically modify it so it can no longer replicate. So at least we have that going. Um, what was it? I think it's the T virus, right? Yeah, the T virus. <laughs> so the umbrella press release said the study had not found any serious side effects, but there's a researcher named Julie McElrath from the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. And she says the AD5 vector is uh, a real point of concern for her. Uh, so McElrath, is she, she co-authored a researcher in Russia? Uh, no, she is at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. So, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know the exact location of that. Why don't you give that a, a quick search here and we'll tell people exactly where that is. So Mikhail Rath co-authored a commentary in The Lancet in October, and that raised concerns about using 85 as a vehicle for COVID-19 vaccines because it was linked to a catastrophe in an HIV vaccine study 13 years ago. In that trial, vaccine recipients had higher rates of HIV infection than those in the placebo group. It is in Seattle, uh, Washington. Yeah, so the AD5 vector has become the leading suspect for the problem here. And she says, certainly we need multiple vaccine strategies to end the pandemic. So I look forward to seeing additional data after a longer time interval. So this AD5, it was used 13 years ago in an HIV vaccine. And they found that people who got the vaccine got HIV faster than the placebo group. <laughs> uh, yep. So uh, and, Umbrella yeah. Corp, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is now the same technology that Russia is using to give to their citizens another vaccine for COVID. Can't wait it's for them new. zombies. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty new. So I don't know what the actual efficacy is going to be or if they're going to spread it. But I'm not taking a Russian vaccine. No, I mean, again... Russia does things very interesting, and they they can do things that we can't do here. <laughs> but they also have a habit of telling people above them, yeah, it's good. Yeah, but, uh, you know, that's the basic breakdown. Uh, Boris, you need hammer? Anti-vax- <laughs> the anti-vax movement, not something I'd rely on for accurate information. No. Uh, now we know roughly how the new Pfizer or Moderna vaccine is going to work. Personally, I'm willing to take it. Now, do you have a specific one that you would take over another? Well, 
Not specifically, no. I mean, the Moderna vaccine is going to be a little easier to manufacture and distribute because it doesn't need the same sub-zero temperatures that the Pfizer vaccine needs. And now, but, were they having the reactions with the Moderna one? Uh, Moderna, I don't think they've started to distribute yet, so that's hard to say. Mm, interesting. Uh, but they use the same um, lipid nanoparticle delivery mechanism. So you're going to end are, up with, yeah. yeah, you're going to you're going to end up with the same type of delivery. So probably the same type of issues. I feel bad for those people. Yeah. Which uh, I may be they've one. Actually, they've, they've given out this vaccine in their uh, human trials already. And they found that while the side effects are, I would say, significantly stronger than a flu vaccine, they're definitely within the realm of acceptability. Yeah, I've heard they're, they are not fun. Uh, obviously, they're way better than getting COVID. Um, what I'm curious is, because I, I believe you're going to find that companies are going to make this mandatory or, or whatnot. I believe our where we work will. And so, all right, yeah, they're going to they're gonna make you get this vaccine, and that's fine and dandy. Are they going to give you a day off? Because apparently this thing drops you on your ass for 24 oh, it hours. It sure does. Yeah. Um, a lot of people that have been getting the vaccine have been saying uh, it essentially feels like they expect the actual COVID virus to feel like the difference is it only lasts about a day. I mean, I'll take 24 hours of death versus death. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so listeners, take this information, start your search on your own and decide for yourself if this vaccine is right for you. I know for me personally, I'll take it. I think what we're what we're what we really get out of all of this is fuck Land Rover. So uh, that's pretty much it for for that episode. So let's roll right into uh, our next segment here. Uh, this will be the first episode we're trying this out, and we're calling this Beyond Bastards. This is as far as we can go on foot. It's time to buckle up, because we're going Beyond Bastards. All right, so our point in, in this segment, Beyond Bastards, is to let listeners and people who have reached out to us let us know how we've, uh, you know... Things we've messed up in previous episodes, because we, we really want to try to get these things right. And we are not perfect, but we will listen. So we'll listen to them. And we had multiple people correct us on this, as well as my wife. So in last week's episode on K-19, we said that the radiation killed you through infection due to the fact that radiation killed your bone marrow, stopping red blood cell production, which it does. But red blood cells don't fight off infection. White blood cells do which the production of white blood cells is stopped due to bone marrow being killed off. So we jacked up and said red blood cells instead of white blood cells. So thank you for all the listeners that corrected us on that one. And that pretty much wraps up the episode for today, Jerry. What are we, uh, what are we talking about next week? What are we talking about next week? Teddy Badass Roosevelt. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be a good one. Again, if you guys like what you're listening to, you want to hear more, uh, friend us and like us on uh, Facebook. That's Beautiful Bastards Podcast. One word, no spaces. And, uh, you know, spread the word amongst your friends, buddies, coworkers, and all that good stuff. And then uh, if you can, leave a review for us wherever you can. Uh, I think we're on iTunes at this point. We're trying to get on there. iTunes is kind of a pain in the butt. But uh, whatever little bit you can do helps out the show so we can keep this thing moving forward and uh, get bigger and better. Uh, other than that, hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.